we're going to be right now in our next text of scripture. And I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Kings, where we'll pick up our teaching for today. We're going to be picking up in chapter 3. And last week, I think, was a, a really you know, great perspective from where we left off. The cleanup because of the WhatsApp. Solomon has established his kingdom. He took care of those that were both rebels to the cause of the Lord, not of peace, and were going to be problems. And so he cleaned that up. We enter into chapter 3, which is a more intimate disclosure of the Lord concerning the plans that he has for Solomon and the heart and love that he has for Solomon. And it's very interesting because, again, we're going to see in Solomon's life much what we see in our life, seemingly a contradiction, highly spiritual position to be seated with the Lord in heavenly places, and yet we're finding things both dead in our lives and dirty in our lives. And yet we see that this love of God prevails over Solomon in establishing this picture contradicting his failures of the kingdom that will come of enforced righteousness. And so today's teaching is simply this, and I hope it works well with you, in the dream scheme of things. The dream scheme of things. This is going to be that time in which Solomon will be actually given an audience with the Lord, at least audible, but I find at times the two to be inseparable. I mean, if I hear God's voice, I see his presence. And Solomon right now is going to have that deep encounter that probably his father knew very well. Abraham and all of those who followed in the lineage of faith since that time weren't simply going by an inclination they actually believed in the Lord and they saw him in the episodal parts of their life. Even as I was sharing that devotional, I believe that Zachary saw the Lord. Scheme is an interesting word because it actually implies a stratagem. Now we sometimes will use it in the negative. Oh, you schemer. But actually, it can be a very positive word implying there's a strategy for an intended outcome on an intended object. When we talk about that for God, it's very difficult to separate that from his sovereignty, meaning God has a plan, right? And he's going to do it. And I'm a part of it, or I've stepped back from it, but God's going to do his plan. He's going to have his way. I'd rather join him in the mystery of what it is he's going to do, and even if it's a year in the doing, or even if it relates even to the nearness of death, or if it must be the humiliation of finding myself up to my ears and eyes and dirt, I would rather participate with the Lord in that and trust him for the outcome. And so this encounter is awesome because he dialogues with the Lord through a dream that he has after a day 
probably much like most of us can say we had a lot to do more than I could get done more energy that I have even to reserve for anything else but sleep let's pick it up here and see what the Lord says to us in this text now Solomon he made a treaty with Pharaoh king of Egypt so as a young man he's entering into politics pretty closely right out of the gate we don't know how soon it doesn't give us that as a premise we just know it's going to happen politics will become important to Solomon and what happens when politics become more important to any of us piety has the lesser place in our life piety is simply a word that describes a high point of spiritual intentions we are representing in the spirit the Lord our passion is to be doing that in whatever it is we're doing and so in this we see that Solomon right now will be engaged with his kingdom in trying to forge an alliance with other kingdoms this kingdom specifically is Egypt Egypt, because of its typology, is pictured as the world system. And that's why when the church brokers with the world system to try and get along, to try and not be behind, and to try and show itself contemporary and accepting of all things, and willing to show God in the eye of those who govern, it generally never works. The only way that it works is for those people that govern in the world to be ultimately surrendered to God who has given them that placement of responsibility. But we do see that right now, this seems to be one of the beginnings of what will be inevitably a snare to him. He's still going to be used by God to capture in fullness a kingdom that is full of peace. But in the brokering right now, we see his humanity following along in a pattern that was not established by God. One of the things that you'll also find being introduced here is this, which is, again, similar to what happens to us. In the brokering of this treaty with Egypt, it will be by virtue of a woman, and she's the daughter of Pharaoh. I'm not saying that she lacked virtue. I'm saying that by reason of that, Solomon is moving away by, if you would, semantics from the command that kings or those men in Israel would not take Canaanite wives to themselves. It seems to be the prohibition was exclusively against the Canaanites who were dispossessed from the land because of the severity of their wickedness, meaning that it appears an allowance could be justified. Politics can make an allowance that seemingly justifies the choices that we make even as believers. I'm happy to say that one of our state representatives, Dwayne Stark, who his two uh, colleagues 
in the House of Representatives came down to meet John Herzog, and I made sure that John was able to pass on to those two reps my greetings from Brookings to Dwayne, who I had as a young 10-year-old in 1988. So I've shared about that. And John's response was, oh yeah, the guys know him very well. They like him. They call him the preacher or the pastor. The reason they do that is because Dwayne is full of faith. He doesn't hide his faith. He probably engages his colleagues in the frequency of prayer and speaking words of truth. Isn't that cool, though, that a man, highly spiritual, moves into a political area, influences it rather than it influencing them? And I wanted to say that because any of us can be, if you would, in a political or the mindset of an Egyptian kind of thing, and we can be highly effective if we've made our commitment that it will not change us. We will go in there and change it. And if that doesn't work, then we will no longer work in that place, that position. So I just wanted to share with you that. Did Solomon think that he could change Egypt? It doesn't sound like it because he didn't intrude himself into it. He brought actually someone out from it. He might have thought that that could change her, but generally speaking, even for men that are highly spiritual, if they engage and move in a direction with someone who is not linked in spirit, soul, and body, it doesn't last very long. Their leadership prowess fails. However, know what happens here. It's God that's going to visit in spite of what we could say, giving somebody a visitor's pass that doesn't belong. Pharaoh's daughter is going to be now married to Solomon. And I know you say, what about the other gal? What about the other gal? I believe that the other gal was not Pharaoh's daughter, nor do we know the time sequence. But sometimes that's a good question to ask ourselves. What about that first love? What about that first love? What happened to it? Where did it go? Why did it leave? It doesn't diminish at all the poetry and the songs and the heart that Solomon presented because God wants to know that is the mystery and the compelling force in the dynamics of love in both a man and a woman having towards one another under the covering of God. Where did it go? Jesus says to the church, return to your first love. Where did it go? I'm glad he doesn't say, I don't want to love you anymore. Just come on back. I'm here for you. I love you. And so to the city of David, she comes. It says that he had not finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. That's going to be one of his building projects. Both the house of the Lord, which we would recognize historically as the temple, and the massive wall that would would encumber... encompass all of that city estate it would be magnificent i mean even now they speculate that most of the perimeter is the origin i think it was greater i think a lot of things were pared down but they do have footings and they have marked things out and it would have been fabulous that he would have been able to put in a defensive structure that his father didn't authorize why 
David was one that fought with his hands. He defended from high points. Solomon would be one in which this fence would represent a complete protective barrier from the outside world. No worries when you go to sleep. No nightmares, just sweet dreams. In the dream scheme of things, life begins to happen. And it is with Solomon right now. Solomon, it says, loved the Lord. We just said he went to Egypt to get a, a bride. We can have conflicting love interests, right? And God allows that. But it says that he did love the Lord. What you're going to find out is that he ended up being influenced by also the love that he had for others who did not know the Lord. I can love God and be highly influenced by others who do not have the same love. To where the love that I once truly served the Lord in diminishes to the love that I'm willing to give to another. The Lord knows how we can get tapped. And so it's always got to be my first love, the Lord. And I will love to the capacity that remains in me towards those that I am to be highly influential for the Lord's glory. Walking in the statutes of his father David, and notice there's something to take note of, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And it was here, verse 5, Gibeon, that the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask, what shall I give you? So a couple of things that you need to know. The ark is in Jerusalem. We know that because when David was leaving, the priests tried to bring the ark along with him to give an advance, if you would, protection in his fleeing. He said, take it back to the city. God's either going to bring me back to it, but we're not going to have the city without its spiritual testimony. So what's the tabernacle? The tabernacle actually was in Gibeah, where it's saying here right now. Gibeon was the place in which, after Shiloh, it rested. And the reason that that's important is because this actually was that place in which the priesthood still was. So you had the ark in the city, and the people that were into the ark for really what it represented, that was as sufficient as it needed to be. Why go anywhere else? The city is God's. The ark of God is here in the city. Solomon is a figurehead of the priesthood as a politician, as a king. Gibbon was only six miles from the city. It says that it was the greatest high place. Why? Because it was the place in which the sacrifices were to be conducted. We then have to assume that the sacrifices conducted anywhere else but in Gibeon were convenient places of sacrifice. It doesn't mean that the people weren't believing that they were doing something for God and to God, but it wasn't God's heart that it be performed there. He wanted it conducted with spiritual oversight in Gibeon. And one of the things about the church that you see 
is the alternatives that happen. I know that the Lord uses video. I know he does. But that was something that came about as a result of COVID. It had nothing to do with, man, we got to keep up with the churches right now that are going techie, speaking to the masses. It had nothing to do with it. But we did it so that we could connect with any of you who for a season we said, we will, for precaution and to show honor on a temporary governance, make a broadcast. But it was always under the assumption that two weeks would pass and we'd be back in the house of the Lord. And when that didn't happen, when the brokering wasn't going in the direction that seemed obvious to us, we're a family. God's going to protect us. And we're going to be in his house. We're not going to be simply at the convenience of another high place that could be highly spiritual in order to say that we worship God, and we do, and make that our destiny. Because as you know, what happens is when you do that, there's a comfort that comes in, and the heart that once had a passion to come to the house of God settles for any house for God. It's a dilemma, in my opinion. That's essentially what's happening right now. He got into a convenience, and he didn't put the people in correction. We're going to see that he'll begin to do that, and he is doing the right thing in going to Gibeon. But what it's saying right now is there were still people that were conveniently worshiping God, and they were doing so more in the paradigm of the pagan cultures. The pagan cultures would make convenience of worshiping their gods, false gods, just within arm's reach. No big deal. These guys would have had to travel by foot six miles. So you can presume what six miles would be as a walk to church. We have people that drive 45 minutes and 35 minutes from their place. To be here. Why? Well, I can't answer that. They can. They believe that for them, this is the high place that God has touched their heart to be spending time with those of us who travel a mile, two, three, maybe some five or six. But Solomon right now, however, is being communicated with by God at the end of the day. He did make it the six miles that he needed to go. And God, at the end of his day, says, I'm going to talk to you. And notice what he says here. Ask what? Ask what? Ask what? <laughs> Shall I give you? If God whispered that to you in a dream, in the dream scheme of things, what would you reply to him? It's a real challenge, isn't it? Because I could name off things that I think would be good, godly. I know myself. And I think it more than would be cool, I think it would be just a real blessing. But Solomon does something that's extraordinary, and that's this. Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, 
because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and an uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Well said, Solomon. He's remembering the things of God. As when we commune with the Lord, we're remembering the things of God in our life, both practically and spiritually. We emphasize his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. But when we're saying that, we're literally in code saying, Lord, everything that concerns what I enjoy as a believer is in him. But everything that has been good has been by your mercy and your grace and your overflow of blessings into my life. That's the way that God sees it. Not simply just the unleavened bread, not simply the juice that represents his blood, but he's taking note and said, ah, you're remembering all of it. As I shared this text with you from Chrissy, I had to remember all of it based on what she penned. It was difficult. At different intervals here sitting in worship, I was wondering whether I could pull it off. And I said, I'll do it, Lord, if you can give me the strength. Because I don't look really cool when I break down. There's some guys that can't. Christy totally looks cool. She really does. She's gifted. She can cry and recite any psalm she wants, the book of James. And you're just going, that's amazing. I just want to love God now. With me, I do it. And they go, you pathetic spiritual being. But the reason that I was saying that is because this is actually in this, him taking account of his spiritual legacy. When he mentions his father, when he's able to say, I've seen these things in my life personally, how would he have seen it? Because he being the youngest son of David in lineage right now has been set up to be the greatest figurehead of Israel. David will be the greatest king of Israel, but in what Solomon's allowed to portray, splendor and glory, peace, amazing, amazing. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am, notice this statement of humility, a little child, early 20s, not a little child, he really is saying something that I think can be interpreted as a humble address. I haven't been there yet in the experiences of this life. I've lived kind of a protected life. Lord, my father didn't. He lived a life of hard exposure and tenaciously following you in difficulties. It hasn't been that way with me. I'm so much like a child right now in my life experiences. And I think, honestly, that's a great thing to also be able to identify with. Oh, Lord, where I'm at right now, I'm but a child. You may say, but I've been a wanderer, Lord. In my wandering, it was because I was a little child. An old man can be a child. And a child can have the experience of an older man. Either way. But this identity is marvelous to me as he's communing with God. I do not know how to go out or come in. What's a great prayer for us to say? Lord, 
Help me go out of the door today without hitting anybody. Help me go out the door today in faith without causing anybody to be concerned about me. Lord, help me to enter once again those doors when the next week comes around. Help me to enter the door of my house with what it is I've heard, to be under examination. Lord, if there's death in my heart because something in it has severed our fellowship, Lord, resuscitate me, revive me. I don't want to have a carcass of a squirrel following me. And I don't want to have ash and soot necessary to be upon me, which is the condition of spiritual mourning is what it is. Maybe the Lord wanted to see how would I handle being literally disfigured. I just laughed at myself. I mean, some of my emotion is true. Oh my word, why did I press that button? But then I sent a photo to Christy of what I looked like. And I thought that was cool because I'd never taken a picture of myself. And then I found myself involved really, wait, that, did, that isn't me. That doesn't look, mm. that looks not like me. And honestly, I was going through like 10 snapshots of me trying to get the right mm with my dirty face. So you see, it wasn't perfectly worked out in my life. <laughs> I finally got the right profile and I was thinking she was gonna say that I was attacked by a bear or cougar, which would make my story even better. She goes, looks like you got soot on your face. Because it had these stripings and like a... Looks like you have soot on your face. <laughs> Christy, I, I was hoping you'd think I took on a panther for you. No, dirt. You just took on dirt for me. You've made your servant king instead of my father David. I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Yes, we do. You just heard it. Leave these doors in faith. Return through these doors in faith. Enter your homes in faith. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Be at his disposal, even as there are things that he will say, dispose of that. Wash up from that. I had to wash up from my dirt. And I discovered water wasn't simply the sufficient universal solvent. I needed some soap. Not just any soap. I tried. I don't know what was in that stuff. I had to use a multi-surface cleaner. I have smooth skin. I have wrinkly skin. I have saggy skin. I have hair on my skin. I needed a multi-surface cleaner. That's what the Lord does. He says, I got a Bible for you. I got a teaching for you. I've got my spirit for you. I'm a multi-surface cleaner. I've got it all for you. But it, no kidding, I, I, went, you know, I came out and it did pass muster because I was able to sit with the family for dinner. But I wasn't perfectly perfect. But I also wasn't feigning perfection like I had on the camera taking multiple pictures of me, just trying to get the image right. Still didn't get the image right. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people 
too numerous to be numbered or counted. Do you consider the people that you sit with are great people? They are great. You guys are great. That's the, that's the word of the Lord to you. You're a great people. You really are. It may not seem like it, but because you are here as family eternally bound, you're a great people. People say great things about you. I hear what people say about you that are great. I don't hear anything that is negative about you. As I pass by, I not only hear it, I see it. It's not that everybody's being notated at that moment. I'm just saying through the course of a week or a month, I hear great things about you. This is what he says about his people. Oh, these guys, they, they were in cahoots with my brothers. They were trying to steal this. We had some nasty guys, Lord. He's great people. That means in mass, but it also means there are great people. Too numerous to number or be counted. Therefore, give to your servant, here we go, an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours. The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. In the dream scheme of things, Solomon asked this thing, that he would be given a heart that would have understanding to judge prudently those who would be a peculiar people indefinitely, just like you and I, peculiar people indefinitely. Where the world's judgment of people is severe without God, God has a merciful and gracious judgment of people because of his son. And it says, this pleased the Lord. Notice what he gets as a result of that very simple, direct humble request. God said to him, because, verse 11, you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, verse 12, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings of all your days. So verse 14, if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke. And indeed, it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. What this says is that when God speaks in that beautiful way, in which the imagery is perhaps dreamy, dreamlike, not a nightmare. That's altogether a different author. What do you do? Do you ponder it? Do you journal it? But most importantly, 
Do you respond to the Lord in the sacrifice of praise? I will very often make a pilgrimage to here. Just wherever I'm at, I'll come here to just spend time to sit in a chair, to kneel here at the steps. Not all the time. I'm not making myself out to be anything other than I like to make that connection when possible. But see, that can be done any place in any moment that you're saying, the Lord is speaking to me and look what he has promised me. And I will wait expectantly, but I will honor him presently. I'm going to do that. He's worthy of seeing my response, my joy, my belief that what he has promised, he therefore is able to perform regardless of what I cannot see right now, but what I do see from this dream, it's mine and it's his to give me because it's his pleasure to give his kingdom and the fullness of joy while I follow him to please him. I just love this story. In the dream scheme of things, what's God doing for you? Do you doubt that there's good for you? If you do, the Lord would say, don't doubt me. It doesn't work in my economy. Believe in me. Make changes that honor me and keep coming that you might see me. And that's as simple as it is. You've all been given authority. What are you doing with it? Living in humility, but power that you can call upon God for somebody's needs in the moment of their need. Any of us can do it. One of the carpenters, a friend of mine for over 20 years, came on the property, said, hey, Rich, yep, I lost my hammer. I am sorry. Special hammer? Oh, man, it was a collector's. goes back to, I mean, early, early manufacturing. And I said, Ray, this is what I know. The Lord listens to prayer, and he answers those prayers. Let's pray. You know, this is what we always did. That's right. Let's do it. I said, we'll see that hammer again. So he bowed his head, put my hand on his shoulder, as customarily I do with Ray. Lord, you know where that hammer is. Help us find it. I believe you. So does Ray. We look forward to how it's going to appear. No hammer. Ray, don't, don't lose hope. Rich, I still haven't found my hammer. We're going to find it. The Lord's going to lead us to it. And so that day passed. Ray, Rich, I was just going to call you. That was my question. Not Ray, but Rich. Did you find my hammer? Not yet, Ray. But the Lord's going to find it. Another day passed. The next thing I know, Spencer says, Hey, Dad. I found Ray's hammer. Really? That's awesome. Where'd you find it? Under all the junk, under all the demolition, under the buried stuff. And that's what the Lord really allows us to see is that there is sentiment and treasure that can be found in the stuff that goes. The stuff that was going revealed ultimately the treasure that was hidden special. That's why we let go of some things Lots of things or a few things. It's not necessarily easy, but it's always rewarding. And the picture there is that that came to me via my son who was in charge of the 
cleanup. Solomon was in charge of the cleanup, and he was able to then present treasures ultimately to the Lord and a lineage it falters, but that ultimately secured the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of David, Jesus Christ. So for your awareness, maybe right now there's still just rubble. It's there. Keep at it. Don't get discouraged. The Lord has it for you. And Ray was just a glow because it was not only sentimental, it was valuable. And nothing else worked in his hands, just that one.